Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for your word. We pray as we come to your word now that you would feed us by your word, that you would give us ears to hear and hearts to obey, and that most of all you would nourish us by your word. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, it is a real pleasure to be with you this morning as we continue the sermon series on questions Jesus asked. This morning's question comes from John 6. Uh, where Jesus asked one of his disciples, where shall we buy bread for these people to eat? And you might be wondering, what's the relevance of that question for us? Unless you have to feed 5,000 people, it's not a pressing question for me each morning. Uh, But like much in John's Gospel, there is more going on here. As we read on in John 6, it becomes clear that the feeding of the 5,000 is in fact a sign pointing to something much greater, pointing to the fact that Jesus himself has come to give us food for eternal life. As such, the the question behind Jesus' question is, uh, where will we find food that satisfies the soul? That is the real question in John 6, and that is the question that Jesus is asking each one of us today. Jesus asked, sorry, Jesus answered that question for the crowd in John 6, but it turns out that most of them didn't like the sound of what was on offer and they walk away hungry. Our challenge for today is to make sure that we don't make the same mistake. Now, it does start off very differently for the crowd. Initially, the crowd gladly accepts the food that Jesus provides. As we heard in our Bible reading from John 6, Jesus feeds the 5,000 with nothing more than five loaves and two fishes. And don't imagine five massive loaves and two whole Atlantic salmon. We're told it was five small barley loaves and two small fish. Remember, this is one boy's lunch. So imagine five bread rolls and two sardines. It's that. But with that, a meal for one, Jesus feeds a multitude. And we're told in verse 11 that everybody ate as much bread and indeed as much fish as they wanted. And even so, there were 12 basketfuls of leftovers. In these verses, uh, the Apostle John has woven in four hints about the greater significance of this feeding miracle. First, we're told in verse 2 that the crowds that followed Jesus were doing so because they had seen the signs that he had done in healing the sick. Uh, Secondly, we get the curious, almost random comment in verse 4 that the Jewish Passover festival was near. Third, we get the explanation in verse 6 that uh, Jesus has kind of set up his disciples. The reason he asked the question was only to test them because he already had in mind what he was going to do. And fourthly, and most tellingly, we get the response of the crowds in verse 14. After the people saw the sign that Jesus had performed, they began to say, surely this is the prophet who was to come into the world. And indeed, in verse 15, we're told that they intend to make him king by force. Now, the crowd's response to this sign might seem a bit puzzling, given that they are following Jesus precisely because they've already seen him do some pretty amazing 
healing miracles. Remember, hint number one. That's why they're there in the first place. So why is this feeding miracle any more significant than the other miracles? Uh, why don't they respond like that when they see him heal sick people or indeed uh, raise people from the dead? What helps to make sense of this is hint number two, the comment that the Passover festival is near. The annual Passover feast commemorated the first Passover, when God had saved his people from slavery in Egypt. Having rescued them from slavery, he led them out into the desert, and no sooner are they there than the people start grumbling to Moses about the food situation. They complain that God has led them out into the desert only to starve them to death. What happens next is described in our other Bible reading from Exodus 16. In Exodus 16, the Lord tells Moses, I will rain down bread from heaven for you. The people will go out each day and gather enough for that day, and in this way I will test them to see whether they will follow my instructions. The manna from heaven, that was the name of the sticky white flakes that fell from the sky, the manna from heaven that God provided sustained the people physically through 40 years in the desert. The Lord fed a great multitude with bread from heaven and it's connected with the original Passover event. That's why the crowd is responding the way that they did. It's Passover time and they've just witnessed Jesus feeding a great multitude with bread from heaven. And that makes them think, this is the guy that we've been waiting for. This is the prophet who was to come that Moses had spoken of thousands of years before. Our reading from John 6 stops at verse 15. But to really make sense of what's going on, we have to kind of read on into the rest of the chapter. Because the next day, the same crowds ask Jesus for an even better sign. They challenge him by quoting the Old Testament scriptures about what happened in Exodus 16. He gave them bread from heaven to eat. In essence, the crowds are asking Jesus to repeat the manna miracle. Yeah, yeah, we've, we've been impressed with the feeding of the 5,000, but Jesus, if you really are the guy, prove it by doing the manna thing over and over again. But instead, Jesus tells the crowd, I and the bread of life. Now, you've got to remember that bread was an essential part of their diet. Like, in the luxury of our age, I imagine it's possible to imagine, it would be possible to go throughout your entire life without eating bread. But in Jesus' day, you had to eat bread in order to live. When Jesus says, I am the bread of life, he is saying that he is the thing that will sustain them. He is essential for life. The crowds are asking for another mouthful of manna that might sustain them for the day, but Jesus is saying, no, no, what you really need is a bread that will give you life forever. And that's me. That's Jesus, not me, just in case you're wondering. <laughs> if Jesus is that kind of bread, then it means that he is the bread from heaven that they're actually asking for. The, 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 the miraculous feeding of the 5,000 is a sign pointing them to a greater miracle that the true bread from heaven has arrived in the person of Jesus. Jesus tells the crowd in verse 33, the bread, from, the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. 
Now, the crowd don't really get it. They say to Jesus, Sir, from now on, give us this bread. And so then Jesus has to explain again, verse 35, No, no, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me will never go hungry, and he who believes in me will never be thirsty. Jesus is here picking up the promises of God from Isaiah 55. In Isaiah 55, the Lord says to his people, Come, all you who are thirsty, come to the waters. And you who have no money, come, buy and eat. Why spend money on what is not bread and your labour on what does not satisfy? Jesus is picking up that invitation of God in the Old Testament and making an invitation to the crowds in front of him. Come to me and you won't hunger, you won't thirst anymore. I can give you what you really need. Jesus himself is the spiritual food that nourishes our souls and it quenches our spiritual thirst. How do we take that bread of life? We have to come to him and believe in him. Jesus says, he who comes to me will never be hungry. He who believes in me will never be thirsty. The crowd still don't get it. And so Jesus kind of mixes his metaphor, extends his metaphor later in the passage. When he he tries to explain what it means to come to him and believe in him. He tells the crowd in verse 53... I tell you the truth, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. When Jesus is talking about eating flesh and drinking blood, the Jews take him literally, and they're repulsed, and and with good reason. The Old Testament law forbade both cannibalism and the consumption of blood. But that, that's not what Jesus means at all. In, in fact, it's very clear from what Jesus says. He's not talking about literally eating his flesh. He, he says, this bread is my flesh, which I will give for the life of the world. And if you know the story of where John's gospel ends, Jesus is talking about what he's about to do on the cross. It's not about ripping off a hunk of his arm or anything, but, but Jesus is going to offer himself, offer his body on the cross, shed his blood on the cross. That's what he's talking about when he's talking about his flesh and blood. On the cross, his, his body will be broken, his blood shed, and feeding on Jesus means making that reality part of our reality. Feeding on Jesus is not literally eating and drinking. It's a metaphor for believing Jesus and receiving what he did on the cross for us. When you eat something, it becomes part of you. It changes you. Likewise, believing in Jesus. Believing in Jesus is not just kind of intellectual assent in your head. It's a belief that you internalise, a belief that becomes part of you as it comes into you in the same way that the the bread that you eat today becomes part of you tomorrow there are too many people who say yeah yeah, i believe in jesus but it makes no difference to how they live from day to day the the statement for them i believe in jesus is is much the same as the statement i believe that anthony albanese is the prime minister or that charles iii has become the king they're true statements but they're largely irrelevant to our life. They don't change us from the inside. 
When Jesus invites us to feed on him, he's inviting a very different response. In this chapter, Jesus is making two claims about himself. He says that he is the bread from heaven, he's come down from heaven, and that he has come to give his flesh for the life of the world. And when he invites us to come to him and believe in him, when we do that, that's how we receive the benefits of what he has done for us. Believing this, feeding on Jesus, means taking this truth into you and making it part of you. Food has no benefit if you leave it sitting on the table. Believing in Jesus means taking, eating of him. Jesus says, verse 56, whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me and I in him. Jesus actually becomes part of us as we internalise that belief about him. Now, in John 6, finally the crowds begin to understand what Jesus is getting at and they don't like the sound of what he's offering. They don't want the kind of bread himself that Jesus is offering for them to eat. And like their forefathers in, before them in Exodus 16, they start grumbling, grumbling about the food that God is providing. They don't accept that Jesus is that bread from heaven. They won't accept what he is offering to do for them uh, in, in giving his flesh for the life of the world. And in the end, they, they walk away from Jesus. And that means they walk away from the eternal life that he is offering. John 6 is asking us the question, where will you find the food to satisfy your soul? The crowd that day failed to find it because they were not willing to accept Jesus' invitation to come to him and feed on him. It would be tragic if there were people here today who made the same response. Having understood what was on offer, they walk away empty. But it would be almost as tragic for those who have, like me and like many of you, have accepted that invitation from Jesus to come to him and believe on him, but still be looking elsewhere to find the food that satisfies our souls. Remember the words of Isaiah 55? Why spend money on that which is not bread, your labour on that which does not satisfy? And yet, isn't that the story of our lives, that we are still chasing after those things that we think will give us satisfaction, but in the end they don't? Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Is that what we long for? Is Jesus who gave his life for the world the bread from heaven that feeds our souls? Is the gift of his spirit for us streams of living waters that quenches our spiritual thirst? To pick up another metaphor from elsewhere in John. Or are we continuing to look elsewhere for things to satisfy our longings? Scraps of mouldy bread and empty cisterns and dry wells. In John 6, uh, the table is set, the, the banquet lies before us, the invitation of Jesus is clear. Jesus says, I am the bread of life, he who comes to me will never go hungry, he who believes in me will never be thirsty. It's not enough to believe there is food on the table. The banquet won't do us any good unless we come to the table and eat. So I ask you, as I ask myself, how will we respond to that invitation from Jesus? 
Where will we find food that satisfies our souls?